Hey gang, are you in a band in Austin? You're looking to make the leap from the band of schmoes to the band of pros? Well, you can start by rehearsing at Space. Space is a state-of-the-art affordable venue for rehearsal and recording located just a few short miles south of downtown Austin. 31 spacious rooms, great PAs, and a very helpful and courteous staff. That's Space Rehearsal and Recording. Find them at 512-448-9518 or go to spaceatx.com and take the talent train from Schmoesville to Protown with Space Rehearsal and Recording. Let's get down. Hey gang, I want to make a quick announcement. Since we started this podcast in 2011, only the last 20 episodes have been available on the streaming services. You had to go back to the Podbean app or to the website, howdidigethere.podbean.com to access past the 20 last 20 episodes. Well, gang, big surprise. As of now, the last 100 episodes are available on all streaming sites. That includes the From the Vault episodes. All of the episodes, the last 100 episodes from this episode back are available now on all streaming services, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast. Go there. Whichever one you're subscribed to, whichever one you use the most, go subscribe to How Did I Get Here. Follow us, rate us, leave us a comment if you can, and, uh, and check out the episodes, man. Get out there and enjoy the last 100 episodes of How Did I Get Here on your favorite streaming services. Let's get down. Johnny, I'm your host. Welcome to the show. I hope you guys have all had a good week, whatever it is you do during the week. I want to thank you for choosing this episode of How Did I Get Here? As I know, as I know, you've got a lot of choices out there of stuff to listen to, of stuff to watch, stuff to consume. But I want to thank you for choosing this episode of How Did I Get Here? It means a lot to me, so thank you. Um, Gang, I've had a really good week. Did a bunch of podcasts this week. Met a lot of really cool people. Got a lot of cool uh, podcasts coming your way. And also rehearsed with Skyrocket for our big 80s show, which actually takes place tonight at Houston, Texas. If you live in Austin, you're listening to this show the day that it comes out Friday, September 29th. We are playing in Houston at Last Concert Cafe tonight doing an all 80s show. Skyrocket does the 80s. Now, you heard me talk about this a few weeks ago because we did one in Austin. And we we actually took a couple of songs out that didn't work. One of them was we did Always There to Remind Me by Naked Eyes. And uh, I played sort of like the string part, the, da, na, 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 the, the melody thing. But then we got this weird bell sound that had all these trailing dissonant bells coming after it in a delay form and it bummed people out. So we, we nixed that from the set Valley girl, which we did at, at that 310 ACL live. We were very excited about the, the Frank Zappa and moon unit Zappa song from 1982, which defined it defined the way the American culture went on to speak after that, like that, that it's just weird. But anyway, that song uh, really bummed out our audience. I told, I talked about it in an in, in intro a couple weeks ago after we did that show, but um, we replaced them with some different songs, some that we think are really going to work and are equally as weird. I mean, playing playing Valley Girl is weird. And obviously the way that we did it at this show, we did it exactly like like the like the fucking record. 
and uh, people were not connecting with that jam, my friend. It was a sea of sad faces. You know what I mean? So tonight, Friday, September 29th, Last Concert Cafe Houston, Skyrocket does the all 80s show. All right, gang, I want to move on to some news stuff. This is some music industry news. A lot of people go to shows that uh, that listen to this show. A lot of people play shows. But you know that uh, when you go and play shows, uh, some of these bigger commercial venues take a percentage of your merch sales. So you have to raise the prices of your merch to meet your margins, to make some money off this stuff because of the giant percentage being taken by these giant venues. Now, Live Nation this week announced that they would be waiving their merch fee and they would also uh, be giving bands playing in their bars $1,500, I guess as a flat fee, not making them work for the door or whatever, not $500 or $250. And there was a lot on social media. There was a wave of joy. Like, all right, look at these guys, Live Nation, look at them, man, doing the right thing. Well, gang, we got to remember that Live Nation is a giant corporation. And altruism is not necessarily financially valid, valid right? It's not, it's not a thing that, that brings, brings money in. Being good to other people doesn't pay the bills, bro. So while we're all out there celebrating this Live Nation thing and thinking like, God, ah, wow, a company with a heart, a national corporation with a heart. Then the next day started reading in some, in some other uh, articles that NEVA, the National Independent, Venue, uh, the national Independent Venue Association, was saying that, whoa, they're doing this because they're doing it to, to screw us out of sort of our bigger shows, right? There would be some of Live Nation's smaller shows, but they'd be yanking them out of some of those independent venues that have been struggling anyway before COVID, not to mention after COVID and trying to get back on their feet. So while it seems like a good thing, we got to remember, man, we got to put our 90s glasses on again, gang. I feel like, and I don't want to be the old guy up there screaming like, hey guys, what are you doing? What are you doing? But honestly, like we, we, like, uh, guys, <laughs> the giant corporations are not out there doing what's best for the people. They're doing what's best for themselves. They're doing what's best for their stockholders. They're doing what's best for their board. They're doing what's best for their presidents. We've seen this. Look at all these companies and all of these uh, unions that have gone on strike, all of these different industries, people that are like fighting to get what they, to get something from these giant corporations that are just robbing these people blind, everybody blind. Remember that. Now, while Live Nation is doing that, now it is good that they're waiving their merch fee. They're kind of doing it to fuck over these uh, these independent venues. And they very well could. I don't know if they're doing it specifically to fuck them over, but it is a move that could very well fuck them over and makes a lot more sense than uh, Live Nation waking up one day and deciding they want to make sure that touring bands make more money. Come on. Who's doing that? All right, gang, don't forget to keep your 90s glasses on and remember, challenge. Let me know what you think, you know, because I saw a lot of people that I know in the industry commenting about this on social media. Uh, you know, people high up when it first came out. All right, Live Nation, go to it. Are they still singing the same tune? What are you singing? Let us know. Let me know on our How Did I Get Your Facebook page or you can follow me on Instagram and, and X. I'm at Johnny Gowdy. Can we still call it Twitter? Or do we have to call it X? I don't know. So speaking of 90s, gang, I have a great show for you today. A great show for you today. Two of my dudes that I've been bros with since the 90s, and they've been friends since the 80s. My friend Todd V. Wolfson 
and Lance Schreiner, both of them visual artists and musical artists, have decided to collaborate. And they have been collaborating, actually, since the late 80s, making music together on four track. Now they've moved it onto the hard drives and they send files to each other and they record under the name one or the other. That's one word, one or the other. And you can find them at one or the other They've been putting out a steady stream of a lot of music out there. A lot of music, instrumental music, uh, sort of like meditative uh, there's droney music, but it's exciting. It's like, it's, uh, in some ways there's this style of music that was kind of invented by, uh, by, in my mind, by Brian Eno, it might've been invented by someone else and I might be wrong. Don't yell at me. Um, it's discrete music, like music that doesn't make you listen to it. That doesn't have screaming choruses that doesn't make you engage with it all the time. And so uh, as Todd and, and Lance have been putting out this music on Bandcamp, Todd's been sending me this music and sending me links. Todd and me are, Todd's one of my best friends. Lance and me have been friends for years. We wrote a song together that's actually on Gaudi uh, Peep Show called Shy. If you're a fan of Peep Show, a record that came out in 2000. Uh, Lance also introduced me to My Bloody Valentine, one of the biggest bands in my whole life. He introduced me to them because he was seeing what I was striving for musically and what I was looking for musically. And he was like, I think you need to hear this band. And they blew my fucking mind. Todd and me, one of my best friends, talk to him all the time. Anyway, so these guys, uh, Todd's been sending me links to the music and and I've, I've been checking it out. I'll put it on and listen to maybe a couple of minutes of it. Some of them are long. There's one on here uh, called uh, Peanut Butter and Jealous. That's 18 minutes long. It's pretty long. So you put it on. Uh, for a couple minutes, you do something, maybe a couple minutes goes by and you go like, yeah, I get it, whatever. And you move on. But then I sat down when they were coming on the show and really engaged with it, really sat down and like listened to it and put it on and listened to these pieces all the way through. And they're fucking great, man. These guys are making some great, thoughtful, inspired, improvised music that you don't hear everywhere. Really interesting music. You're going to hear a song called Dry Cold Place. Now, all these songs, just like their name, are just one word. I don't know why they're doing this, but it's a stylistic thing, and it seems pretty cool. Uh, I want to remember remind you guys, Lance, uh, Lance Schreiner has been a musician for a long time. In the 90s, he was in the Flying Saucers, and uh, uh, my friend Anar and I recorded some songs with him, I think in like 1995 or something like that. He was also in the Sheridans with my friend Sheridan Rolson and a lot of other people, and Todd uh, has been the town's family photographer in the music scene for, for decades now, definitely uh, super prolific through the nineties and, and early two thousands, still shooting shit all the time, but started making music in a live way at monkey nest, this uh, coffee shop place on, on uh, over there on Burnett up North by his old place. He would do Mondays once a month and do this collaborative thing with all kinds of musicians. I played a few times, but all kinds of people played. And then during the pandemic, he started recording a bunch of music and doing synthesizer music and doing these live shows. And so uh, once again, Todd Wolfson and Lance Schreiner re-collaborated over the last couple of years and formed One or the Other. All right, you're going to hear the song Dry Cold Place. You can find them at uh, oneortheother.bandcamp.com. I love these two guys so much, and we had a really great conversation about uh, their their music, how they make their music, and uh, just kind of like what's been going on in our lives. So without further ado, this is me, Todd V. Wolfson, and Lance Schreiner, better known as one or the other, chatting it up. Let's get down.
Is that your special that's effects pad right there? Yeah. That's you can do the breathe and the That'd be good oil. if he could do all that stuff while we're talking. Where I put my fart sounds on there where you guys don't hear it. Applause. Get right on that mic. I'm not joking. I'm you can even pull it up closer to you if you want. Whatever, whatever makes you feel best. Um, here's the thing that I that I discovered. Okay. And it took me a little bit because here you're sitting here and uh, you know you guys make this music that is not like uh, a verse chorus. Uh, verse chorus not at all and then i realized that it's it's in the it, like in the genre of discrete music because when you're doing shit around your house it's fucking rad some of it is oh we're not in the <laughs> show already are we <laughs> yeah by discrete totally music you're the talking show. the brain you know yeah like in that in that genre of music, like music oh, yeah. that isn't grabbing you and going like listen to me i'm i'm saying this thing now here comes the chorus Occasionally, you know what i mean yeah but yeah, yeah. overall well, yeah. that's the yeah. thing sometimes we're striving for that and other times, other times, it's like Lance will send me something or I'll send him something. And it's obviously going to be a noise piece or it's obviously going to be something that's right. not ambient. But other times we'll send something and you know, I don't want to touch, you know, making that weird. I want to layer it with another layer of ambience against what he did or him doing it yeah. against what I did. So that's kind of the fun. Yeah, we're doing a lot of a lot of stuff that is meant to blend together to the extent that you're not even exactly sure what's coming from what. Yeah. You right. Know, right. Layering of sounds with the intent of creating one big thing. Right. Occasionally you hear something that actually sounds like guitar. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah, yeah. it's definitely well, manipulated. That's also yourself. a thing. There's pieces that are, like you said, very, you know, ambient music, very much in that vein of, right. of trying to just be pretty or soft or whatever. But like I said, there's other times it's just so much push and pull of what you, what am I feeling that day when I woke up over my coffee and I'm listening to what he sent me? Right. And some days I might go, super gentle under something he did that's got something rhythmic to it other times i may go "Ooh, i feel like i want to fight against that so that like i said there's no there's no game plan ever with us it's not like we have to write verse chorus well and and to that extent sometimes it's so I, i don't know that i've really written so completely uh intuitively uh, and I do consider it writing for the most part because sure, I, mean, I, I, I go yeah. back and I'll tweak it and I'll revisit it. But right. it, I mean, occasionally it could be first take, you know, just because you've listened to it a few times and you go, oh, I think I'll try this. And I may take a while gathering a good sound that I'm wanting to hear. Right. But the actual take, first take, you know, just because it's you can't revisit that, you know, right, it's so right, immediate. Yeah. You can't revisit it. Did you guys do this like a long time ago too? Did you do something in this vein like in the 90s on a four what, track cassette? What year, yes. What year <laughs> you did, didn't you write? think we did yeah, Baby's yeah. Heartbeat? What year do you think that was? <laughs> Baby's, Baby's Heartbeat. Heartbeat. Baby's Heartbeat was really, yeah, definitely the start of what became this. Because Todd had a friend who had gotten their uh, baby's heartbeat their, recorded. Uh, yeah, whatever that In utero heartbeat. Sonogram. Yeah, yeah. That thing, whoosh, whatever. Whoosh kind of yeah. sound. Yeah, it wasn't like a windshield. I mean, it wasn't like a heartbeat. It was more like a windshield wiper kind of sound. And I took that and I think I looped it into my SK-1. Okay. And just yes. made it go <laughs> whoosh, whoosh, whoosh for a long time. And then we sampled 
other sounds and played them over it. You yeah. Know? It was like, and it was minimalist. It was like probably on your task. Yeah. Yeah. My, my Porta One. With the SK. Yeah, God bless baby. Porta Ones. God bless the SK and SK1, One. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, it's like, and it was nothing more than that. And a lot of my see, that's the thing. This is me. the future of the SK one. Is that Whoa. yeah? Because it's got a that sampler. Kind of shit in yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got the sampler oh, that's and everything. Cool. Yeah, like kind of low, low fi though. <laughs> this is like the this is the Rolls Royce of SK ones. Yeah, that would the be DM two 100. keyboards. Yeah, stacked <laughs> keyboard. SK one. It is a Casio, and it, and it and it has the sampler on it. Remember, I used oh, to do it at at at, oh, at yeah. Quackenbushes. That's oh, awesome. Sorry. That's awesome. But yeah, no, those things are amazing. I, I found this the other day that I've had for now. Like, is that a drum no, that, machine? That, this? No, that Boss sampler up there. Oh. oh that. Dr. Sam, that thing's like 25 oh, years old yeah. at this point. You know, I my first ever <laughs> drum uh, machine was a, a Boss a Dr. Rhythm. Yeah. And I would love to have that back too because it's such a unique sound that one had. Yeah. The snare hits were really great on that. They were easy to program too. Very like it was. Easy. You could, did you used to program? Do you remember when? Did you used to come over when I used to? Do, yeah, you did. We yeah. used to hang out in the nineties when I would I would make those. First, I would program the whole fucking song. Yeah. Like Phil's going into the into the course. <laughs> yeah, what that a weird thing, thing to do. Yeah, it was not much bigger than, if I recall correctly, it's not much bigger than a stomp pedal. No, it was just really so. It had this very it's basic LED. Yeah. Uh, put a put a dot there. That's a drum kit. Yeah, a kick. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, and nothing can groove. Everything's like, doo, doo, ja, doo, but it doo, did kind of. It did, yeah, but yeah, yeah. You, you, so you had to be the groove yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what shakers are for. Yeah, the the task. That's another thing I've looked for is somebody who's got a good working Porta One four yeah. track because I'd like to go back into my old tapes that I still have and and digitize them and fuck around with those. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like recording on that medium. Like, I kind of wanted to get one just to like, I can, a friend of ours, Daisy O'Connor, you know her? You know Daisy? Don't, I don't know. Oh, she did She did a record on four-track cassette. Oh, like awesome. There's something so years beautiful ago. about mixing sometimes that really old technology with all the crazy do you Do you too. use some of your stuff or do you use all the stuff in the computer? No, the only thing I use... You know, I play my analog, whatever my other my other synthesizer toys, like when I do a live, you know, Facebook Live. But no, Lance, early on, like for I think around 2013, 2015, I was just using the synthesizer sounds and whatever effects were already in GarageBand. And then Lance turned me on to maybe one plug-in. Oh, you should try this. You can it'll go right into your GarageBand. And I realized all of a sudden I started Googling this delay plugins and this and that. And now I have like, you know, probably thirty different synthesizers or sound sources, and then I have probably three times as many effects all in GarageBand. So it's like when I want to come up with something, sometimes I know right where to go to get this buzzy sound or this right, right. pad or whatever. But so many times I'll start with something and by the time I've run it through three or four things, it's not even anything I would have thought sure. of because it's just so playful to have now the technology of what we have. But then this past weekend, I was listening to a bunch of early Cocteau twins and I see what he's doing with all Robin Guthrie's doing with all his pedals and the sounds he's creating. 
but what they're going against when they first started, and this is some, I found some bootleg live recordings I've been listening to, is the most, like, insanely basic bad drum machines oh, yeah. that they're playing <laughs> over. Oh, and yeah. it's just for the whole song. It's like, it's not changing at all. There's no... Changing just, a pattern you know, or meter. That's what you had then, you know? If Dude, you, you didn't have do... money, you had to buy the cheapest thing that did what you were looking for. Right. <laughs> do you guys know T-Double? Yeah. Dude, yeah. he's got so many. He's got like a Lindrum and like a fucking Oberheim DX drum machine. He's got like the OG drum machines. Mm-hmm. Like All the actual. And, wow. I don't know if they're working. I just see photos <laughs> of them on, on uh You know, it's funny about the, uh, having all the plug-in synths is I start to visualize that if you actually... It'd be like Vangelis's studio if you actually had yeah, yeah, all yeah, those physical exactly, synths. Exactly. That's the thing. Keyboards my, all around you. My <laughs> crummy little garage band would be filling it's probably two rooms yeah. with just keyboards yeah. everywhere. And now I've got it like I just go down a list and go over here and click this. Well, tell them I'm about your the, uh, your top secret assistant. Oh, yeah. Are you using AI? No. Oh. I have two assistants. I have two plastic clips that i put on my little whatever 12 inch little tiny midi keyboard so when i want to do a bead or a drone or whatever oh, you have it for hold. 12 or 18 minutes i just <laughs> clip it on a note and like i go off and go to the bathroom and make coffee and <laughs> let you know, it go for eight watch minutes it, yeah, yeah. Go there watch you go the end of you know here's storm she make some out of this <laughs> <laughs> What's Murder, She Wrote's music like? Is I it like droning it. notes? Because <laughs> it seems joking. like you go there for inspiration or is it like... I don't really watch it. I just threw that out there. Um, so I watch In the Heat of the Night. In, in, the, uh, in the realm of guitar, are you using like a lot of in-computer effects? You've, you've always been a person that like... Uh, uh, you and I have always bonded on this. And there's another thing I do have to tell you. I have to thank you slash so many people are going to be like, He's that's the dude Lance. that did it? I'm talking huh. to Lance. You you were an early uh, well ever since I've known you you were in the Flying Saucers and you wanted to make your guitar sound like something that wasn't just a, a six yes. string uh, yeah, thing definitely. held by tension yeah hey come on this is the middle of a podcast. hey I'm sorry I just had lunch <laughs> what can I say um, so uh, so I figured like at this point like are you you're always like looking for the new thing like what's happening with new you know stuff. I, I started um when i when i joined the saucers it was interesting because john and i both had one of those uh alesis quadriverbs right right the rack yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah so but john then also had like every pedal known to man in front of him too but right. i never did i only used the quadriverb really uh and it took me literally probably 15 almost 20 years before i jettisoned anything like that and actually got pedals so now i've got a whole you know rack unit of i mean a a pedal rack okay uh but for this stuff i probably 85 90 percent of it yeah is sounds like create through uh um, logic pro yeah I mean, it's fun to do that. Oh man, yeah. I mean, it's a everything's a tool, right? So you use it to whatever ends you want. You have everything at at your disposal. Yeah. And when when I play any guitar on our one or the other stuff, I have luckily a, a you know guitar to USB. So I can plug my guitar straight into my computer, and again use all the 
all the goods I can as far as, you know, reverbs and delays and distortions and all that. It's they there's like the most massive pedal board I could have. Well, the, I'm sorry, go ahead. You were about to say no, something. Go ahead. You had something re- queued up. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say the, the crazy kind of thing of, of this whole one or the other uh, project, I don't know what you call it. We're not a band, but <laughs> uh, is that, you know, it, I, I, Todd is a non-musician musician, and I think he'd be the first to agree that that's where he's always been. Um <laughs> I don't know he, a C sharp from a B flat. You know, and and I, I no, the, the reason this yeah. kind of all happened is he put out a record with um, uh, Sarah Jane Hargis, Matt Hubbard. Oh you. yeah, Improvisations One. And I like that. Album. It's fucking gorgeous. Yeah, and it made me have player hate. So I was like, wait a minute, I can do this stuff with you too. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, I was really literally like, you know, my old kitchen table sitting across the kitchen table going. I don't think you can. You can't handle the electronica. <laughs> so it's it's crazy that um, really from starting with that little experiment of baby's heartbeat, that literally what almost what? three decades yeah. later was that early nineties or when probably late eighties. Yeah, that was shit. Yeah, that was whenever you Before know whenever SK ones were a we thing. Were, I was just starting to be introduced to you. I remember Todd literally talking about this guy Johnny Gowdy is a good songwriter. He's and a the pop four guy. Tracks and yeah. yeah, yeah, and the four track. And I was like, oh, that's that's he's talking about another guy like me. Yeah. You know? So yeah. yeah, so yeah, it was right at that time. It's man. I talked to a lot of people. There was a time where in that time when we first started hanging out, and I lived in that gray house where Tracy and I lived in that gray house. I, everybody was for it. Remember Darren had, Darren, Darren was like the fucking uh, <laughs> Tom Lord Alchie of four track dudes. Yeah. <laughs> and then there was all these like crazy dudes going on. But like, I mean, his shit was like, like what, legit what, what's sounded the, great. The I'm talking right sergeant. now. He was one of those kind of guys yeah. too. I'm talking right now to the podcast listeners. You guys take me back. When did you move here? When did I meet you? When were you at Whole Foods? So we can put that to rest okay. with the three of us. I, I moved here in the summer of 1991. I moved here on Will Sexton's birthday. Okay, so 91. So <laughs> Everybody knows I was probably is. getting yeah. to know August you 6th. the most in 92, right? That early? Yeah, I met you that summer. I met okay. you right before I moved here. I came here Okay. So really, I, see, I would have said it was earlier. I could have sworn it was more like... 89 even no and i wasn't we had all, here, no. we'd already been friends so when did we you quit working yeah. at precision and then we became friends like around you, 86 87 so yeah and in that window yeah there was a short time where lance and i were just kind of still getting to know each other and, right and even though we both worked at a camera store we didn't bond over that we bonded ended up bonding over our love of like xtc and whatever the hell else we were listening to that's what really yeah. bonded us and it was when we right. both discovered we both had a thing for the cocteau twins oh. that our marriage was really oh. <laughs> cemented yeah <laughs> but yeah cocteau twins you know the, all that stuff oh, what were you guys going to see like what in 86 87 like who were the bands that you were into here in austin in the scene I, were, there, I, were you 80s, going to see the, bands uh definitely glass eye okay see i was a late bloomer to all that i kind of only in the 80s until i started meeting a lot of people in the very end of the 80s early 90s i was only seeing touring acts i saw tons of great touring acts here at the Paramount Armadillo, whatever that you what had. What was the place where Arlen is now? 
What was that? Oh, the oh, Austin, Austin Opera, Opera House. House. Saw yeah, a million yeah, yeah, great yeah. shows there. Saw the yeah. Furs there and Elvis Costello and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, wow, Laurie, I think I saw Laurie Anderson there. You know, but it's like, yeah, I didn't, you know, I didn't start really getting into the 80s bands till the early 90s. It wasn't, literally, it was, it was Kathy McCarty's Dead Dog's Eyeball that pulled me into Glass Eye, that pulled me into Daniel Johnston, that pulled... I knew of the Reavers. That was it. I didn't listen to Doctor's Mob. I didn't All hail to, Kathy McCarty. You know, the only person I listened to in the 80s, I'll take that back, there was one major band for me in the 80s, and that was Dino Lee and his White Trash Reavers. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. That was, <laughs> yeah. that was like, that was our orchestra that had yeah. rockers and <laughs> jazzers and billy white and hector you know all that plus the greatest well, he was jazz billy white in it player. was he in it in like 1984 no i forget he was too young later 80s okay later okay 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 that's when i met hector in the 86 85 86 87 we were becoming friends i saw dino at, in uh like the fall of 1984 at Liberty Lunch with Mark Hallman and Eliza Gilkison's ex-husband, Revis Moore, when I was like 15. You and, were there with them. They yeah. weren't on stage. They weren't like opening for Dino Lee. No, 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 no. <laughs> they, guess- they, we had gone to see the cars and we went there afterwards. It was like, like, uh, like it was like, you know, it was like the first night anyone was like, sure, you can drink whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like wasted at this show, but, but I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe what I was seeing when I saw yeah. it. Like I, I couldn't believe yeah. that there was like, I, the weirdest thing I'd seen at that point was like Devo or the cramps on, uh, on Urge, Urga Music War. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd never seen anything that weird in real what life. What a great soundtrack that was. I yeah. st- I'd started awesome. my friendship with Will, so I know I've seen some of that. Will Sexton? And, yeah, and Will Sexton and maybe Bad Mother Goose, but I'm telling you, I wasn't really into the scene. It was just randomly I would find out about something. So when did you get into the scene, Todd? Once I mean, because you're like, you're like the, 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 the keeper of, of, of everyone's likeness for the last like 30-something years. Well, I bugged the Chronicle in the late 80s or whenever they started, I started bugging them. I didn't get gigs with them except some random, rando shoots I'd do that weren't music-based in like, like late shoot 80s. some sandwiches over but at then, Thunderclap. But no, but then by 92 <laughs> is when I'd shot that first Alejandro cover. Uh-huh. And that kind of was the... Oh, like, so I was already here. Yeah. So 92 was when I really then, because I was being thrown every, you know, but when every did you, band. But when did you shoot meeting. the Reavers? Because to me, that was when you first That's, really delved into... I was here. Into, I was here. Because that was in Cream Music. Those are 91, That's when you 90. became the music band yeah. photographer. Yeah. I started my... I think the first things I did where I did the... Troy Campbell and Mike Hall were I like working. how excited we both got yeah. about that shoot. <laughs> Troy Campbell <laughs> Troy Campbell and Mike Hall were doing that across the Great Divide, the tribute to Joe Carroll Pierce. Yeah, I was before, here then. Before anybody knew her, that was an early right. thing. I did a Coffee Sergeant's album cover. These were that was a Deja Disc. I think her thing was on Deja Disc, if I remember. He put that out. And I was working with the watermelon people. I did Alejandro's the the Reavers was their own thing. I wasn't really working for the label. They hired me and just used my photos. But yeah, it was Reavers. Like the early ones are Lo- Reavers, Loose Diamonds, Joe yeah, Carroll Pierce, 
coffee sergeants. Yeah. That stuff was yeah. my early right, right, stuff. Right, right, right. I remember. I, I know the all first those. CD. I feel like I know I all of those. Yeah. Like they're part of my. But but for, let me get back to this cream thing because I moved here and I started working at Whole Foods and we were kind of friends at that point. Like I met you at the mm-hmm. thing and then you were friends with Naomi. She worked with me. Yes. You came in all the time being obnoxious <laughs> and I'm uh, just fucking with you. Johnny was what? the obnoxious I one. was obnoxious. <laughs> yeah. But you. Uh, I can't remember. I don't think it was you, but I think someone was like, oh, that guy that, you know, that guy that you talk to all the time, he did this photo, like these real, it was like the first time I'd seen like cross, cross processing was starting to be a oh, thing. Yeah, right, and like, right. they were so vibrant, these photos and they yeah. were so Johnny's alive ex-wife and exciting. would end up taking that and running <laughs> with it. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. I had to go there. Well, I mean, that's how Todd became so plugged into the music in Austin that he also by kind of default became the guy you'd go to if you're like a musician looking for a good situation because he knew everybody. Well, also as opposed to now (laughs) when you get in the photography or any side of things, things were much simpler than you went to about five guys back then. It was me, (laughs) Margera, Scott Van Osdell, certain people you knew about. And then, or you used, you know, like people do now, you used your friend to do your stuff. Right. You had a friend that was a tractor. Well, yeah, there wasn't the, there wasn't a million cell phones. There wasn't a million photographers. It was very, you know, old school. Oh, Austin in the good old days. You know, and (laughs) for me, see, the thing that I think is really different back then, too, is we all had our friends and clients, and you didn't really step on the other. If somebody was working with, like, Luann Barton or Angela Straley or this person, that or Max Crace was another guy back then. Max, yeah. You didn't go and try to get their client. Now it's like we're all kind of free-for-all, like, Whoever can shoot whatever, it's like it's harder to to do what we do. Dude, Max Crace manages uh, fucking Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson, yeah, yeah. they've yeah. they've known each other a but long see, time. see, Max I think. is another one of those guys. Early on, I just looked at him and I was like, Randall Hodiff wasn't doing a ton of music, but he was also kind of a personality photographer. Who's because that? Randall Hodiff. This is this is for you guys and everybody listening. There's a famous picture of Randy Biscuit Turner where he's holding a big boy and it says God on the big boy instead of big boy on his overalls. Uh And Randall Ahadif took that picture and it's been I it's one of those pictures like a picture of Willie or Rocky or this or that. It's been iconified so many different ways over the years. But he was a guy early on, like him, Max Crace. And not so much Guerra or, or Scott Van Osdell, because they kind of had their own styles. They were, but yeah, they these were, were guys, like Max Crace just had this something about him I related to a certain way. Mm-hmm. And and Randall Ahadif was just, he was to me maybe the first personality photographer in Austin I met. And that's kind of what was always my goal, was to bring out personality and soul of people and I didn't see that in a lot of other people's work. I saw good, you know, photography and, you know, whatever. Technically, it was good, but Randall was one of those guys. They showed me you can be loose and soulful and still be a professional. Right. I I, I don't know if it's because my my manager had shared an office with your sister, but your sister, Cindy Light, was one of those. That's right. Yeah, she uh, photographer. She actually her probably most iconic little bit is uh she shot the cover for joe ely's live at liberty lunch mm-hmm. oh no shit yeah oh wow yeah 
Yeah, she she shot Joe Ely in the band uh, for a long time. She's got a, quite an archive of, of Joe. A lot of other bands too. Young, skinny, skinny, sweaty Joe. Yeah, but there's also yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah, also to Jeff. me a delineation. <laughs> like people want to throw me in the live music photographer, you know, basket. But that's not really what I am. I'm a portrait photographer. And when I think of like people like Bill Leisner or Cindy or uh, Tracy Hart, who's done all the famous Stevie Ray Vaughan photos and things like that, they're they're to me their bread and butter. What they're really good at is live photography. Yeah. And Cindy like has major major. Yeah, she was shooting. Like, she would stuff. be the kid who's sneaking her camera into yes shows, right, and, right, the, right. and the right. who and those, yeah. and, and then walking away with some. You know, she'd force her way up to the front and yeah. walk away with some really great shots. Yeah. So at a really young age, she kind of just fell into figuring out a good way to shoot live stuff. And yeah, that's, that is hard. That's tough to shoot that stuff. It is tough. You know, there's a guy now. You're friends with him, but do you know Ismael Quintanilla? Man, that name sounds maybe he does a just lot sounds familiar, of shit. But I like, don't think I do. He does a lot, like, but his live stuff, like, I mean, people are flying him right now all over the world to do their nice. festivals and concerts, and it's really yeah. cool. Uh, he can really like. There's there's usually like like a good handful of of ones from a show where you're just like, holy shit, yeah, wow, because yeah, yeah. that's a tough thing. Like that's a numbers game, right? Oh yeah, with I mean, the lighting changing every second and God, and now doing it with that shitty LED lighting. Yeah, that's harsh. Ah fuck, man, that those. Uh, photos from shows suck now. Yeah. That's Unless for sure. somebody can get through that. East, East yeah. seems to get through that. Well, so I'm going to pull it back to the music, though, because okay. the like, whole idea of, of mentioning, not just, you know, to, but uh, is because he knew everybody, and I was finally, like, getting to the point where I wanted to try to get into music, I went to Todd, and I was like, there's no bands that are like what I want to do. And, and Todd goes, you've got to see the Flying Saucers. Oh, you hadn't seen them yet? I'd never mm-hmm. even heard of them. And Todd pulls me, I think it was at a Liberty Lunch show, and Todd pulls me in and, was like, and I walked out of there going, I want to be in that band. And then I, by miracle, got the opportunity to audition after uh, Adam Sultan left. So Sultan was in, in. that's when I saw him. I saw him at Liberty Lunch. Yeah. And there was... Maybe he went with us that at night. At those gigs. <laughs> I went with Frenchie. Oh, I was okay. going to say, yeah. you, were, you just mentioned Frenchie, and I was going to say, at those gigs... Was this guy? A bunch nobody of dudes that ended up making nobody their knew. Sound like John. Nobody yes. knew. But what surprised me is John would be playing in the Flying Saucers, and Chris would get down on like the edge, the the floor of the you know hole in yeah. the wall stage, and he'd start manipulating John's <laughs> pedals, and John wasn't like get away, get away. He was going, oh, you know, John was like, what's he doing and all that. Yeah. And to me, I look at that because I saw those from the very first time Frenchie started doing that. I look at that as kind of the genesis of Frenchie and and Carrie starting 16 Deluxe, of him becoming a producer, all that. Oh, That's yeah. like yeah. that guy 100%. was like a little He's baby, a knob turner. A baby Frenchie <laughs> back yeah, then yeah. going this is what I will be doing soon. Is <laughs> yeah. Twisting the knobs, you know, and playing weird guitar, you know? And <laughs> yeah. They were to me when it comes to Austin bands, you know, and, and if, if, if I've got to say to me right now for the record, the all time greatest band at making their really own kind of music here is octopus project. I think. Oh yeah. For they're sure. our best yeah. export we've ever had as One far as best, yeah. like international kind of f- a new thing yeah. that nobody's doing what they're doing but 
for me, it was Flying Saucers and 16 Deluxe that were the bands here that when you saw them live, it was just... It just vibrated for me. It oh yeah, hundred percent. Because we turned them all up to ten. Yeah, it was just. There weren't was, a lot of people there at that show that I was at. But no, there was, I, there was hardly any at the one. But there was a lot of cool bands making noise, but not the way Sanchez and Frenchie and Carrie. They have their own. Yeah. When it comes, there's to a wild sounds, abandon to which yeah. they approached stomping on their boxes. Yes. Yeah, hundred yeah, <laughs> percent. Um, and our friend Paul, say his last name. Wazelkowski. Wazelkowski. Paul. Paul Wazelkowski. It's one of those words I'll never get right. Yeah. But Paul is in that school too. Right. right? What was the name of his band? Um, I forgot. Oh, there's the Casual Strangers. Casual but strangers. before that, there was another <laughs> the one. Lover too. People. <laughs> lover People. He was yeah. in another band right <laughs> before that. that. But he's, he's to me another one of those guys. When I see him go live and step on a guitar pedal, it's not like, and you know, I've seen you do the same thing. You yeah, have your a, pedals do when too. you when oh, yeah. you get into that I get mode. Ridiculous! I've, I've mellowed out though. But that's the thing. You still yeah. have a breath inside <laughs> of you. We're too old to reach the ones at the far ends. Everything, everything I've known that you've done. It's like, you know, it's like the rainbow. It's yeah. amazing. And you, at one time, you've when got you, your own way of using when pedals, you were though. in you're Rocket not a, not, Baby. I think everybody figures it out because yeah. you have your own way. But yeah. dude, you know, and Rocket yeah. Baby and Gaudi, you were freaking madman. Oh, I didn't I say fuck. You were a fucking madman. <laughs> yeah, you, were, mean, you knew how to a stomp a pedal as good going as anybody. Wild. You know, you <laughs> could guys. stomp a pedal. I'll tell you, kids. So. So so we all were going to the same places. That, did you guys go to that hole-in-the-wall thing last night? It was a thing. Oh, like a rock, and roll yeah, free yeah, for all. a rock and roll free-for-all. I was for talking all. to Jeff Johnston because oh, no he's coming way. over later on this afternoon to buy something asleep. from me. I fell asleep. I didn't even pedal. hear. But see, I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I missed some of those things. I shot my wanted cosmic coffee in the morning. So. <laughs> was it good? I was already did you go? asleep. I didn't go. Didn't go. I, was, I, 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 went to, uh, I went to a theater yesterday. I went and saw the Go-Go's uh, Head Over Heels oh, musical. Oh, final performance? Final performance. I saw it. We couldn't get to it. I'm... Yeah, I would have liked to seen it. It was really good. Um, I was going to ask you guys about places from back then because there are places yeah. that are like, uh, have you guys been to that new sign bar place? Do you know what I'm talking Not about? Yet, no, okay. but I'll go when it's comical. November. December. Yeah, right. When yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Nothing against the, the hot weather, but it's really bad. Um, Liberty Lunch. Did that place sound good? I can't even remember. Like it, at this it was it a did. place that depended a lot on who was running sound. Johnny did a good job, Medina. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. good, but it wasn't about the sound. That was a place. <laughs> no, but that was a place that was about the vibe. Yeah. That's, much, that place yeah. was 100% vibe. And even if you didn't have money, the beauty of that, at least in the very early days, I remember, is there was a side and even the back parking lot. You could just, you know, it was kind of like later, latter day dazed and confused. You could sit on your car behind it and get high and hear the show just as good as you could if you were in the audience. Or you could peek in. I remember sitting with Carrie and Frenchie at a show. We weren't inside, we were yeah. on kind of a side little piece of cement. There, yeah, there were a couple little there. areas where you knew, okay, I can usually see the stage from outside the fence right here. Yeah, we could all <laughs> sit, oh, yeah. We could sit <laughs> on the ground in a circle like we were in our living room bonging or hitting on a joint <laughs> and listening to whoever was playing that night. 
And it was just, that was the thing. Nobody was looking at you like, look at these slackers on the outside. It well, was then, like, then the, that was part the, of like, the scene the as much as... The Electric Lounge became yeah. big. Yeah, there was a lot of, of shows there. I feel the like, original Emo's on 6th Street. Oh, yeah. The Continental that was always like, has if been If you could a, play the outdoor stage at Emo's, at, you know, in the early 90s... You know, I don't think was, I ever played that outdoor stage. I was like, well, we've made it in yeah. awesome music, you know. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. You know what's weird? I, I like, okay... Oh, I remember that. I should have played Electric Lounge in the time that I was playing. And you didn't? I mean, I did a few okay. times, but I should have. that should have been the place I was playing with my oh, band. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the kind totally. of band we were. Yeah. But we just got treated so well and made so much more money at Steamboat that it was just kind of like difficult. Well, that's like to a sort family like, thing, too. Yeah, exactly. It's a family thing as opposed to a venue thing. You and Danny have always been like family, it seems like. So that makes more sense. Yeah. It's like when I did my monkey nest show for eight years, it was because my friend owned the place. Right. I don't feel like right. I don't feel like going in and doing a residency or anything with anybody unless they're kind of like family. It feels kind of weird. Well, especially if you're going to do something like a residency. You did yeah. that so long. I, it is like family. I saw Mark and Jeanette like yeah. uh, last fall. I love their show. little Facebook page. The I still love. I still miss. Uh, yeah, yeah, lunch. yeah, yeah. I still do, man. That <laughs> I do. Uh, that too. was a fun place to play, and they were always really nice. And yeah. do you remember, like, uh, remember the fashion show thing that was going on there? And it was like Cella and like Jill oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah, Tracy yeah. and like a couple bands played. It was cool, like shit like that. I miss yeah. stuff like that. Oh yeah, that was. I think like, stuff like that still happens. We're just old, and yeah. like young yeah. people do that. The scene <laughs> shifts. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. that's how it is. I posted it on Facebook, but it's from my old print days. There's, I forget what benefit it is, but it's got Will and Bradley Cop and Butch Hancock and all these people on that's it. Like, and yeah, Brad Cop doesn't go to places anymore. No, but the funny thing Brad, is, is, is at the bottom place. of it, it says five dollars. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like a benefit, and it's got like a bazillion great people that now are like, you know, you'd pay hundreds of dollars to yeah. see, and you saw all these people on this on this you know piece of paper, and at the bottom it says five dollars because everybody was you know more hungry, and rent yeah. was four hundred bucks. Yeah. So yeah. real quick, is there are flying saucers available like on? Uh, yeah, I started putting stuff up. It really wasn't available anywhere, but um, once I discovered Bandcamp, which to me is right now the yeah. model of what selling your music That's should be. That's where you be. guys, I'll put a link to it, but you guys are one of the other bandcamp.com. Yeah, bandcamp yeah. One or the other is they one do word, it right. I, they, make, they make it easy to put your stuff up. It's a, easily available. Oh, yeah. It's great. So anyway, uh, I started putting some Flying Saucer stuff up on, on Bandcamp. Uh, started with the, um, we did a, if you remember, KUT used to have, uh, on Sundays they had live set, uh, and we got to do one of those, and they were so well recorded. I have a disc of that somewhere, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yes, and so I just took it. I think it, he burned it for me. Digitized Todd it, and uh, kind of just ran it through Logic Pro and sweetened it up a little bit. I mean, it was already well, like yeah, I yeah, say, yeah, yeah. well engineered. You got it from a cassette. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the compression is nice, though. Coming yeah, yeah, off those yeah. cassettes and yeah. digital, it sounds great. Yeah. So I did that, um, and I found some old uh, demos that we did, and I put those up. And so I'll, I'll eventually get everything up there. Um, what's the white record with uh, Starball Contribution? Uh, that was it's just called EP, The Flying Saucers. Yeah, yeah okay. it was a five-song EP. I, I still have that on, on CD. It's in my iPod. 
But I just want that that's stuff the, in, my, in my... That's the classic collection. Those five songs yeah. to me are just everything. Yeah, it was, it was wonderful to put it out. You Except and I, for John's version of Wichita Lineman. That's still the best cover which I've I have ever actually heard put in that, my life. I put that on, on Bandcamp and I sweetened it and it sounds really nice because oh. I found a studio version, not a live version. Yeah. Oof. I remember just how obsessed I was with that EP and just it didn't end. Like even like when in Gaudi, I remember like we were like, so I got rehearsal one time and I was like, you know, do you guys want to learn this song? And like <laughs> you I played, played it, it for a everyone. Ton. Like, Holy fuck. We played a lot. Gowdy we tried to record yeah. it. I remember the first time I saw you got play it. I was like, oh. Gowdy <laughs> played it a ton. We almost lo- every show once you learned it. We did here. We also did like whenever we were like unsure and like scared and like nervous. That Like that song, the way, the, like, the way that we played it, it had this like kind of like easing into it kind of thing. Like it didn't just pop in. Yeah, like the, we, eventually dun, dun, we had like dun. this long intro thing. Oh, yeah. That's and right. it was yeah. just kind of an easy way for us to get comfortable. That's it's nice. making the hair on my arm stand up. Aww. But it was our publisher, Kenny McPherson at Warner Publishing, who was like, You're not putting someone else's fucking song on your record. Because they gave you guys us a were lot of money. put it on the record? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I remember Lars was like, Holy fuck. What was that first song you guys played at this show that we played? And we're like, Oh, dude. Wow. Yeah. The flying Saucer oh, that's song. That's so yeah. sweet, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and then you and I did write a song that ended we up did. on Gowdy. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, which I love that. I love that you But guys. we did, it was it was our publisher that was like, there's no way that huh. you, someone else is going to make money off of your music. <laughs> like, yeah. Like <laughs> off of the recording that you did, just not. This little band happening. in Austin is going to yeah. take all your, your royalties. Well, they just, they wouldn't have gotten any money from it. So that's why they <laughs> yeah, were like, they, they were like so the, ridiculous. <laughs> well, I mean, they gave, they gave us a good amount of money. I could see them being like, no, 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 no. No, you're paying us back. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right it's now funny. I'm feeling a lot like Lance's project mate, but a little bit like his Ed McMahon. Like, you are yeah. so right, sir. <laughs> That's correct, sir. I'm only throwing well, in I mean, a few you, little... You and I spent correct. so much time. Like, you've made me so many CDs. I have a bunch of Flying Saucer CDs. That's how I have that KUTX thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's fun for you, Johnny, for Alejandro, for David, for Lance, for some other people. I think... I'm not a completist, but for some reason, you guys, or even in your case, Martin Hanlon, people have sent me so much of their yeah. demo. And being, ask, a, and being a music photographer, yeah. I have a whole library yeah, you of are demos. A and you know, like, I have some archives <laughs> that sometimes people call me up for, like David. I do. Go, yeah. <laughs> you call me up and go, Every you few have months. this? Yeah. yeah. It's like, do you have this? And I'm yeah. like, let me dig around. I don't think so. Oh, there it is. And I have it because, you know, we've been we've been a fabric of each other's, you know, yeah. careers for so much. Well, now it's like hard to find like a DAP machine to get it stuff. Oh, switched. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like it's hard. Yeah. The well, the tapes that we did uh, for the Flying Saucers EP, I've got all those DATs, but fuck if I can do anything with them, you know. And hey, yeah. I'm going to bring this all back to Wolfson. Sorry. Steve-O in Chicago. That's Wolfson's brother is going through a lot of film archives, photo archives, and audio archives because he's finally settled in his house and is going through some of the stuff that's been away. He sent me some stuff I did in the 80s, borrowing his four-track, stuff I did in Chicago, stuff I did in Dallas at Steve-O's house. I had compiled him a 90-minute cassette 
that was probably from a lot of pieces I had from here and yeah, there, yeah. but it was like a Wolfson collection from the eighties that only Steve-O had. I didn't make myself a copy. I had them here and there and here and there. So Steve-O sent me back all this stuff, and I felt like so international. It was like recorded in Austin and oh, yeah. Dallas and studios. Chicago. Well, you and know, it's, it's wild when your 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 past comes back to you like that, especially with music, because yeah. you can easily forget what you did. You and know? then hear he, it again for the first time in St. Louis. Once he brought a bunch of a guitar and a bunch of electronic equipment because we were both going to visit my mom for a Thanksgiving weekend and we don't have the best relationship with my mom. So we needed a little refuge, you know, so we didn't beat each other up either, you know, (laughs) as brothers. So we would go at night with headphones on and he and I created music. This was in the nineties. We created some music and I forgot about that too. And he, he digitized all that. So he's been digitizing all this stuff that, I had, I mean, once I hear it, I remember it, but I'd a hundred percent forgotten about this stuff. So, man, go through your archives, kids. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Got to find someone with them with a cassette with the right player though, and like a CD player and shit. I have one. I have a CD player. But it, it also when I when I listen to what Lance and I are doing right now and the stuff I'm doing on my own electronically, yeah, I realize you know I kind of think, oh, I had this big gap between you know when i was in high school playing on an arp synthesizer to now and i realized no i haven't i've actually you know in each decade i've at least up where you left off i've well i've at least dabbled a little bit i didn't let it totally go it's always been inside me and now like i told you since i have all these tools inside my mac it's like woo. do you guys ever like crazy set parameters for a song or something you know what i mean like kind of like put like okay we're only going to do like five tracks that's the only way he agreed to do this at first the parameter was very starkly that you only play guitar but oh. also, Which was, at well, you first, can do okay, anything with but a guitar. Also, I, I mean, I could, I can create using keyboard and, and right. other things. A thing, but he's, yeah, that was a limitation. A thing that I tried to impress on him, which I probably deep down knew he could do, but I hadn't heard it yet, was if I did something weird or whatever, he may do one of his chordal or whatever things that I would consider. He has another project he's been doing since the eighties, maybe yeah, yeah. called Pop Mantra. And I didn't want it to sound like Todd meets Pop Mantra. You know what I mean? And so I would go, He maybe even the first piece he sent me back was a little too, like, guitar-y. Yeah, and I, said, yeah I got a rejection I said, slip on that one. And I think I said, dude, you've got all this stuff. You got pedals. You got guitar. Make noise with it. Well, make that's what, that's make what's mood made it, with it. Don't yeah, make... That's what's made it so fun is, is, yeah. is he, for me, on my side, him pushing me that way you know out of, literally out of your comfort zone kind of stuff has made it be really fun yeah. <laughs> and let otherwise me, yeah I, you get bored with yourself let eventually me, let me yeah. tell you this like we have that fun and it's a fun thing it's not like we're really that way but because as you say we've had so much in the bank as friends yeah we can get on chat you know, after we're sending stuff back and forth and we can just be horrible to each other, <laughs> you know, just like oh, that shit. You guys were blah, horrible blah, blah, blah. to each other during the, uh, during the pandemic one day, because you would get nasty on your, on your live streams. If someone, if your friends <laughs> yeah. pop up and you're like nice until somebody cooler pops up and you're like, shut up, I'm not talking to you anymore. <laughs> but, I remember but, one time you but, got on you and you were like, Hey, shut up. But dick. let me, let me tell you <laughs> I something. Totally that. Recently, That's how easy it is to get on each other's nerves. <laughs> recently he sent me something. It was one 
of our busier pieces. It wasn't an ambient piece. So I came back with something that was really cool, but it was way too up in the mix. It was kind of eating up what he did. And he writes me back and he's like, dude, I don't like this. You need to, you need to dial it down, bring it down a little bit, make it lower. You know, I like it, but let's see what it sounds like if you do it softer or whatever. So when I went back to do it, not only did I make it softer, but I made it crunchier and thinner right. and more. Because I, I think I wanted an insect sound, and the thing I made in our song sounded like a big metal insect. Yeah, <laughs> And so I took it, and I crunched it, and I thinned it out, and blah, blah, blah. And then I lowered it, and then I mixed it with what he did. And it was because he'd given me that suggestion, and I didn't exactly do that. I did that plus whatever my brain was processing. <laughs> then the piece... Like without us, either one of us doing anything more, right? It was absolutely perfect. And if he hadn't said, "Ah, eh, you know," if he, we could have just thrown it away and go, "Well, that's a throwaway. Let's work on the next <laughs> it's one." It's funny sometimes. Right. I think if if like a real engineer could see what's behind our stems, they'd be like, "What the fuck are you doing? Exactly. Laying all that but shit on top?" But who cares? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. We're not making traditional sounds. We're Trying right. to come up with, an, you know, not that electronic or ambience is new, but for us, we're trying to come up with things we haven't necessarily heard. Maybe they're influenced by something, you know, by Eno or Ryuichi Sakamoto or Kraftwerk or whatever, but they're us sure. expressing our emotions through sound. Yeah. And sometimes they hit each other and they're like, ugh. And right. sometimes, like I say, we keep, what do we call it? Shining, shining shit till it's gold or something oh, yeah. like that. Polishing you know? a turd. Yeah. Polishing a turd. Um, you know? So uh, the question that I was trying to get at with the parameters thing is like, what is the, like the intention? Are there, is there like a, hey, this piece is about such and such. So keep that in mind when you're doing your guitars. Kind is of, that, maybe is once there anything in a while, like that one on? of us will be that way. Well, and also occasionally one of us will be that way and the other will will come back with a straight fuck you don't tell me what to do <laughs> yeah, yeah but there it is there's the lennon and mccartney thing i love but it's, like i said with us it's more like you know we're not gonna like i'm never talking to you again yeah. let's quit this thing no it's more it's part for me when i'm making music by myself or when i'm jamming live with people it's a whole different thing but when it's somebody that you got a lot in the bank with and you're collaborating it's to me part of the chemistry that makes it good. I wouldn't have come up if we just were like, Oh, that's cool. Or right, I hate right, it. Right, just stop right. there. It was like that one time and it's happened more than that, but that's the most prime example because I changed something because he told me to, but I changed it. And it like, again, it's that push and pull. It's that kind of dicking with each other or pushing each other yeah, a little bit. And what's you, interesting now is that we're getting close to having nearly 20 tracks, I think, yeah, you have a lot of is, this is, shitload of music yeah, up there. When you well, go back three through years it, too. Yeah. it, you kind of go, well, is there a style? Is there not a style? No. It, I, I don't. I think, and I kind of like that. I feel like we've been successful in not really having a style. Yeah, you, know, you can hear a you can hear a pretty wide variety of textures and sounds and and vibes and yeah. And I'm not the only guy that'll send him something weird and ask him to react to it. One of our earliest pieces. He's got this like screaming, like, ah! like almost Adrian Ballou kind of like ah! coming at me. Yeah. And I'm like, what am I going to do with that? As opposed to us being like, you know, like <laughs> soft didgeridoo stuff. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's so fun because we don't know going into it 
wherever it starts, we don't know if it's going to stay that, you know, we're like I said, I want to be precious to something ambient or he wants to be precious to something ambient. But like I said, if there's something kind of frenetic or noisy, then we're like, Ooh, yeah. What yeah. did I do? Anything you know, that yeah, pushes like, you to go, oh, okay. I hadn't yeah. thought of that one. Makes it a lot more fun. Like I said, the chemistry of that is all part of the process of I bet you guys could score a movie together. doing it like that. Huh? I would love to try Dude, that. That's what I think, you know, and I've had people tell me this before. When With our music, with my own music, it's just sitting there on Bandcamp, you know. I think I've made under $200 in four years. So is but it's like yeah. it'd be, I know, but it'd be great if I knew that it's kind of like being an exhibiting photographer, like you have to know the right people. But I wish I could find somebody that was making a film and go, I want you to do all the incidental music, you know? Yeah. Guys walking down a alley at night. Yeah. What's yeah. that music? Yeah. You know, uh, Sunrise. What's what makes, that music? What know? makes you come up? Like, I'm going to ask you guys this separately. First, Todd, what makes you come up with an idea? Something happens, is there a feeling? A lot of a times, general... a lot of times, it'll be just like a person that's writing a song about the girlfriend who dicked him around or, you know, the relationship or how hard life is. Sometimes I'll have some angst inside me and I'm like, I need to go to the computer and make some angsty music. Sometimes I'm like, I'm super stoned in a good mood right now. I think I'm going to play a drum for 18 yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to put a clip it's on my literally, keyboard. It's literally, yeah. I mean, just because it's not, you know, I went down to the depot and saw my dog on the dead on the tracks. It's <laughs> still, trope. it's still, yeah, that old trope. I still have emotion and I'm putting them through yeah. sound instead of being, cause I'm not a first chorus lyric guy. I yeah, just it's, couldn't it's do it. It's easily for me the most, the closest I've ever gotten to being purely emotional with my music. You yeah. know, it's, I'm not thinking yeah. in terms, because like you said earlier, finding a way to describe it with words yeah, or anything. You're I, just yeah. kind of letting it out. I yeah, also got to yeah. say, it's so fun to, to find that. And, and I think that actually is why it, like I said earlier, tends to be very few takes on any given track. All right. Yeah. Is because it is so purely about that initial expression of that emotion that you're, getting from the other guys track. And also when I was 16 and this has nothing to do with the Enos and the Sakamoto's and Craftworks, but it was kind of pre what I would call electronica. And it kind of was in a way was Steve-O, excuse me, when I was 16 bought me Miles Davis double album, get up with it. And it was all from those bitches brew, you know, that seventies to 74 era where he would have, 12, 13 musicians playing with him in the studio or on stage. What was and that called? Were, what was that jazz? Fusion. Yeah. But this is, he was kind of <clears throat> pre-fusion. He was kind of the guy who lit the fire because he'd Fuse. have, he'd <laughs> have Billy Cobham and John McLaughlin and Chick Corea and Herbie yeah. Hancock and all these guys who had been probably all playing a lot straighter. And he would just call out a time signature and a key and they'd all just start to jam. And it was all about them listening to each other. And they would record this stuff like you've never heard. And I remember Miles saying he ran, he played an organ that he ran through a wah-wah pedal. He ran his trumpet through a wah-wah pedal. And his guitar player would be through a wah-wah pedal. And sometimes those would all be in the same song. And I remember in an interview, somebody's like, why why all the wah-wahs? You know, what's with, with all the wah-wahs? He goes... 
it gives me and the guitar player who are the lead players it gives us like a similar voice oh right yeah, yeah which yeah. i found fascinating plus i like the idea of also i don't know if i'm pronouncing his name right but his producer teo macero was old school guy and he would take those pieces and he would chop them up with you know a razor blade and and recording tape and re-edit it all so when you heard it it wasn't digital sounding it was very organic but it was the most crazy outside thing i've ever heard and ever since then it's it's fed the way i create music the way i shoot everything is you know me i don't make plans i'm like oh you're wearing a striped shirt today or you're wearing your green army jacket or you're wearing a yellow you know whatever I react off of all that kind of stuff in visuals, in sound, and all that. It's kind of like just what what's the feeling of the moment? Yeah, you know, what's the vibe? What's everybody? What's everybody got going on? What's the when I'm shooting? It's like where's the sun? What are you wearing? You know, where should I go? What time of day? All that stuff. The yeah. mood of the person. And with music, it's always been kind of the same way. There's a there's the the um, documentary. Jet Garrison did that right centric that Jet Garrison did on me and Sheridan's on there, Sheridan Rolson, ladies and, and germs. Um, and she's she's talking about like, you know, I like things that are one, two, three, four, you know, she's like, and she goes, Todd, he's just, you know, he just plays whatever he feels like. And David kind of says the same thing. He goes, Todd doesn't li- he doesn't he listens to everybody but he doesn't know well, what's yeah, going on. Yeah, it's the non-musician musician. I don't know what's going on. I'm just Todd, like, okay. But what Todd what, just quoted a documentary about himself. Yeah, and he also compared himself to me, Miles Davis too, said, but <laughs> but that's the it's true. That's me. If you know me, that's me. Sorry. You take what you get. The interesting thing for me is <laughs> That he, uh, <laughs> through all this shit and through all these literally decades, he's actually come to this place where he does oh, yeah. amazing fucking stuff. Yeah. And it's just a, a joy when he sends me something. I'm like, woohoo, I'm a I'm surprised as anybody, believe me. <laughs> when I made the Hargis Hubbard Wolfson record, which literally is beautiful Matt playing and producing, beautiful Sarah Jane Hargis yeah. playing the hell out of her pedals and her flutes. I'm sitting there holding, you know, part of it is even my phone doing a drone, but I'm just hitting down on a note and maybe during a piece I'm going do. A bunch of that was preset, right? Wasn't it? No. You brought in some presets and stuff? No. I mean, it's pretty much me figuring stuff out on the fly, but it's like I'm not a virtuoso. Like those guys made that record so beautiful. Otherwise, it would have just been like, uh, That's a good record. People should check. It's on Bandcamp too, it's right? It's beautiful. It's, and that, is, see, it? that's, is it on Bandcamp? I think yeah. so. Oh, it, cool. it's on, Yeah, it's it's under Hargis Hubbard Wolfson, but it's on, I think it's on Sarah's account. Okay, so um, you guys, how many pieces do you do? Like, uh, I mean, you've done 20 pieces over the course of three years. How that's long does it right take now. you usually a couple days to do it? There's no time thing because he sent me something. No, I know there's no time thing, but I'm just saying once like organically. Once you get down to it, yeah. Once yeah. you get down to it, because I think what we'll both do a lot is just whoever sends the other one the first stem. Right. Uh, the other could sit on it literally for months. Sure. 
But once you get down to actually recording like it, it day. tends to go yeah, yeah really fast. Yeah, that's a, that's like, a but, yeah. But what's also fun about the stuff that I was talking about earlier that we might throw totally throw away because yeah. just doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. He <laughs> Lance picked up something fairly recently that like I think you sent this in 2020 or whatever 2021, yeah. and I listened to it again and because now it's uh, my head's not anywhere where it was back then. He did something to it and I was like, oh my god. I didn't know know that was that good. I had, oh, I added something to it after, you know, we sent it around again and it ended up being absolutely beautiful. But at the time it was just like, wherever our heads were, we're like, nah, you know, but that's another thing. I know that you've got to feel this way. And so many musicians that four track or record their stuff probably have a lot of stuff that's unfinished and you might go back in a totally different frame of mind. And all of a sudden you're like, yeah. What the hell did I sit on this for? This is really cool. You yeah. Know? I, so I found that's it kind of fun. I, I tried in, uh, it might have been before 2020, but I, I watched this documentary that was like four hours long that was on Amazon Prime about Brian Eno, like from 1971 to hmm. 1979 or something. Did you fall asleep watching it? <laughs> I might have, but I woke up and stuff and started over. <laughs> but. Uh, it was just, there was just, it was the time that I watched it too. I was ready to have some different intention for why I make music. And so, you know what I mean? Like sure. you just get bored yeah. of yourself. And, uh, just that whole thing that he was doing with the, uh, with the tapes and the, and the different tones and yeah. the different lengths tape of loops, tape. And yeah. Yeah. all of a sudden the machines are making the music where it's kind of out of your control. Uh, and then I, I, I did like try to sit down and start making, but it just wasn't with actual just, tape loops. No, 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 no. Okay. I was going to do that with Jonas Wilson, but I started making some, some discreet music yeah. and it just, I'm not a very discreet music maker. <laughs> just not. I remember like after, <clears throat> after my friend Andrew Schapter passed away, I had been doing Todd percussion. Say our friend. Yeah, he's a great <laughs> photographer, but a super influence on me as an artist, just as a friend. And I started changing up, instead of being a, the percussionist at all my monkey nest shows, I said, as a kind of a ode to him, because he'd become a filmmaker when his brother had passed right. away. He'd left photography more. What was the name of that movie? For filmmaker. Before the Music Before Dies. Before the Music a Great music great, documentary. Great, yeah. Um, but I decided for me, what can I do for me to kind of honor him? So I started doing, I, I left the percussion home, started bringing my uh, micro Korg and my toys. And the first one I did with uh, um, Ulrich Ellison and Sarah Jane Hargis, because I'd met her just a little bit before that. And I started jamming more ambient, mm-hmm. you know, and I started doing that. And I remember I did one that had Evan Voiles and um, David Goodrich, Abra Moore, and um, William Harris Graham. And all those people can, I mean, you know Abra, she can just make vocalizations that are mm-hmm. amazing. And everybody was playing and making this music and all that. And I remember right before we started playing, I was up in line getting a coffee and John D was there. And I go, hey, do you even, you know, because he's a singer, songwriter, rock and roller and all that. I go, do you even like this stuff? He goes, <laughs> if it's done right. 
<laughs> and I knew exactly what he meant. Yeah, he didn't yeah. want to. He didn't. Yeah, much I, like, I wasn't. Mine, mine wasn't cool. Much, like it wasn't like Kraftwerk or something. Just like me pushing thing. a synthesizer. A lot of people. <laughs> cool. I had done some shows with Pat Mastelato and Laura Scarborough and Matt that were Halloween shows where we just through every the it was kitchen sink electronic it was like you know it was like that kind of stuff nobody really dug that the people at the coffee shop didn't chorus didn't mickey like nobody <laughs> loved it but the minute he said that to me i knew what he meant because i'd already kind of put that in my heart it's like wolfson you're too busy when you drum you're too busy trying to make noise I'd already gotten to that place of wanting to be more ambient and I'd found a place in there and all of us, William was doing amazing stuff on his guitar. Abra was making these noises. And this, to me, this was like, again, one of the most telling moments about creating music. Um, Evan Voiles was playing, just filling in space. So all of us were keeping this sound going, whatever it was that night, we were keeping the sound going. And David Goodrich would be in the, he was in the corner. He's a guitar this player. This is a really long story, dude. Okay. But anyway. <laughs> There's people listening to this. <laughs> anyway, he wouldn't play, he wouldn't play a lot, but then he'd hear something and he'd mess with his pedals and he'd play for five or six minutes and then not play for a while. Yeah. And that was another thing, like, again, same thing with Lance, same thing with anything. It's all about like listening to what other people are right. doing really is as more, almost more important than what you're going to do next. It's like, I got to really listen to what he does yeah. instead of just throwing it out the minute I hear it and going, I well, don't like those Yeah, that's the out. kind of trap you can get into doing the way we do it in particular is uh, you could just not really put a lot of thought into it. Right. Really, honestly, because you can get all these fucked up, weird, cool sounds. Yeah. And you just kind of go, oh, I'll, I'll do this. That's the thing. That's what I was trying to get to, like with the intention of why you, when you're making a song, like why are you making this? Because I was wondering if maybe but, that was maybe the problem that I was having, that maybe I wasn't approaching it like I was when I was writing a song. Like I wasn't working out yeah. a feeling or something. I was like, I'll hold this note for this long and add this other thing with the pulse. You know but what I mean? It just wasn't, it wasn't very cool. That's why the long story a second ago, because... <laughs> There no. was a point. Well, all of us were creating a sound. We were all, we weren't being busy, but we were not stopping. Right, sure. Right. And me really paying attention to the fact that David would just not play for a while, then hear something and be inspired. That to me is as teaching a moment as anything about recording music or playing live or any, you know, well, I've, yeah. I've learned a lot over the years, things and, like and, that. And generally speaking, it's Todd who sends me something, uh, it mostly starts on his end, and um, it'll be something where, especially if I like really connect with it, I tend to like the first minute or two. I cannot play a note because not only do right. I, am I just digging what he did, but I'm allowing it then to set up a thing. And you know, because with yeah, with droney sort of music, you need to you need to let it get into your psyche and find its groove there. Yeah. And then you start to sprinkle some stuff on it or get crazy with it, whatever you do. But so, yeah, it's, it's like, you'll just, you know, you know, you gotta, I guess it seems like a, a genre that you can just do, you know, it's almost like when people look at certain art, you know, visual art, they'll go, Oh, my kid can do that. Right. Yeah. Johnny, send us a stem. Let's yeah, collaborate, cool. baby. Yeah. <laughs> send us a stem, babe. 
a wig but it's, file. You do need to be a little versed in, in you know, what's come before you uh, so that you're not just doing that and making and stuff. And you have to have some kind of vision of what you're trying yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah. And, and right? like the other day, uh, um, Eno and Fripp's No Pussyfooting. No pu- pussy I was listening to that and thinking, wow, that's kind of what we're doing at its like basic roots yeah, because they were just Eno's, in, inventing Eno's that making stuff. some noise and of course Fripp's probably to me doing the heavier he's doing the heavier lifting you know he's got to play something over it that's going to engage more than yeah. what Eno's doing but yeah you listen to those records but then at a certain point it's really not about that it's like this push and pull of what they're both doing it's a is pretty the primitive record thing. though though when I oh, listen yeah. to it now it's like Hmm. Do you yeah, guys do you guys think you'll ever perform this in a way in front of people? I don't know that we it's, could. I, yeah, I right. don't know that we could. It's I mean, we could perform stuff. like the songs as That's songs, but could like, you do something like this in a spontaneous same thing like at Monkey Nest yeah, that you well, would do, like but a, it's hey, also, a live electronic do two guy jam. Yeah, I mean, nowadays everybody's got a laptop next to them on stage, no matter what instrument you're playing. <laughs> I do have a laptop Rush, next to me on stage. So Rush Evans in that was, way we could do it when we put out Hargus Hubbard Wolfson. Rush Evans was going to have us on his show, but then the pandemic happened and that never happened. But I even remember us going well. We don't remember what the hell we did recording the well, thing. So uh, yeah, I wouldn't think that yeah. you would go there and perform. We were going to perform uh, the record, yeah, before the last satellite fell. But like you, you would get up there and and do what it is that you do, yeah. but in front of people. Because uh, uh, yeah, I mean, like whatever Mastelato does when he goes and well, does. Yeah, his I'm going to go back to one more collaboration that I've had with Lance Edward Schreiner, and it was with Bale Creek Allen, and we used to do this thing only basically at art openings that Bale would have at Gallery 68, (laughs) and we called it Three Guys. And we would get together usually the weekend before or whatever, the week before, we'd go to lunch, and we wouldn't talk about what we're going to play, but we'd make our football kind of uh, schematic. I dig it. And one time, I swear to God, we all three ate Mike's cereal bowls and ate cereal through Mike's. And that was like one of our things. One time we played and Lance was playing just weird guitar noise. And I don't even remember what I was doing. I remember Bale like had a circular saw leaning against a cymbal or something like that. And it was just, it was always like, you're going to bring, you know, I'm going to bring a piece of metal and clang it. And he's going to play guitar and you're going to do this. That's what I'm saying. Like you never think to do like just the two of you guys, like let's go and I'll bring a synthesizer and and a couple of synthesizers. Well, we could do it, but it would generally be more two guys. Or more like who's going to let us go do that. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's true. I mean, you probably could find some Yeah, I mean, there's not like clubs doing, I don't think they're going to do that at uh, 310. But no, there are are a lot of places. That's the thing is like we're old. We've got kids. Yeah. Uh, Well, but then they don't, well, one of them lives in Austin. Yeah. Yolanda moved Ilana lives up in Seattle. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. because of this podcast, I'm hoping we Florin get to play the, awesome, the, the Moody Amphitheater. Yes. Yes. So yes. I want this podcast to really bring us to a whole new yeah, audience. D- no, I mean, <laughs> like, there, there are weird, spins, like the Church of the Holy Ghost, or what was that place that people there were playing? There are places. Like, yeah, weird, just weird yeah. nonprofit places. Again, though, like the art. <laughs> yeah, we got to do more. like the art circuit. <laughs> nonprofit. There's thing. an electronic music circuit, you know, where. They'll have a little festival of all these people you've never heard of that are making electronica. But again, we're not in that clique or crowd or whatever. Yeah, well, we haven't know. tried, honestly. But, well, uh, but still. <laughs> we, could, like, we could try it. I'd be yeah. up for it. 
But yeah. yeah, it's like we don't we don't have an avenue. Lily's in that in that crowd. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Lil, Lil knows all the all. Well, yeah. But she's, Lil's getting pretty. I'm plugged sorry. In. Was that, I don't even know where they're going. They're just coming and going. Like they know I have a podcast, and they're like, "I'm yeah. going to come here and blow this Let's guy's." Let's fuck with thing. Johnny again. Yeah. Again, that was my indigestion, and I'm again. very sorry. <laughs> again. Well, um, people can find you guys at one or the other bandcamp.com. Todd Wolfson, Lance Schreiner. Um, we never talked about the Sheridans. You were in that band too. Yeah, Sheridans. I did that for about. Four Almost five years. Yeah. We did a lot of touring up and down I-35 corridor, you know. Oh. We just, it's another. The 90s. Yeah. Another band that, you know. We <laughs> 90s, just, man. Never could get over that hump of ma- making a little bit of money doing it, at least. And, it's tough. Yeah. But where did you guys, you used to go to Dallas and Denton and Oklahoma no, we City go, or we something? We go all the way up to, we actually played Kansas twice uh, in Minneapolis at the 7th Street uh, all Entry. All the way up. Yeah, you know, Prince's <laughs> First Avenue? Seven, yeah. On yeah. the side, they've got uh, a place called 7th Street, Street yeah. Entry for like the up and coming bands. I yeah. played with Sheridan played for like a decade, but nobody asked me about that. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't go travel up and down no, the No, I didn't ever yeah. tour. Well, you know me, you... I go like four blocks from my house. And it's well, the end of the world. <laughs> now, I play with, now I play with Sarah, so it's yeah. like finally come around yeah. to playing with my lovely wife. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. In the band? The band is basically the Sheridans without Sheridan. <laughs> wow. It's it not is. basically it's it is. Like the Sheridans. Sheridans, like 90s, 90s band or early 2000s? Wait, who uh, plays bass? Late 90s, yeah. yeah. Tom Bombera. Oh, cool. Yeah. Derek Flom on Derek Flom. drums. And yeah. And now no Sheridan. Sarah Hickman Sarah now. instead yeah. of uh, Sheridan Rosal. I love Sarah Hickman. She's a, she's a nice Sheridan lady. Too. Yeah. I would <laughs> not know nice Sarah lady. Hickman without Johnny Gowdy. There's another one of those true. we've known oh. each other forever things. This is the thing I was going to tell you. Ah. One of the first times we ever hung out and we were talking about guitar stuff and all. Is it like right before I think I recorded with you? Like we recorded with you. Yeah. Like yeah. me and Anar and Yeah, and yeah. Kyle. We came into the Yeah, you Saucers recorded a demo room. for us. Yeah. Um, and... You were you were like oh we were talking about bands that you like uh, uh uh we were naming bands and you're like Cocteau Twins like yeah and start going in that vein and then you go like hey, and, you, and my bloody Valentine and I'm like you mean like the movie and you're like you no, didn't no, no, know no. them oh wow no oh. I didn't and it was like 1993 1994 or something and you were like how do you not know this band and I'm like <laughs> I don't know and then. I guess I went and got it, or I can't remember what happened, but Loveless is the totally changed about. my life. Yeah, that's a seminal I, I record. I think I got, I think I got everything that was available. Like I got that white. Yeah, but all uh, their, all their EP, other records are good. EP, but, like but, one EP uh, and two LPs. Yeah, Loveless is a yeah. record. Again, maybe I left it out of the influences in me, but even though I'm not a guitar player, like whatever I'm creating music. It's another one of those influences that is ingrained in me. Hundred percent. That record, every the as a piece, not as individual songs. It's like no other record that came before or since. It's like a standalone, yeah. great sonic experience. I just know? saw that uh, he's got he's endorsed a pedal that basically puts every sound he's ever created into one Whoa. one pedal. <laughs> it's, it's like something blender i forget what it's called it you know what kind of one of those bigger size box but yeah all his sounds johnny's eyes just got his biggest he worked saucers on it. i forget which company <laughs> created it and he worked on it with them and they created this pedal <laughs> you know who's coming in today do you guys know lauren lacus no don't She's know her total oh. fucking like shoegaze like 
Fucking awesome shit. Oh, her awesome. Stuff, uh, Spell her last name so we all know. L A K I S. Elliot Frazier, you know him? Ringo Death Star? Mm-hmm. He mixed her stuff, but uh, I like them, Ringo Death Star, a lot. Yeah. Those guys are great. Great shoegazer. Jams. Well, I'll have to look up. Uh, what was her Lauren first Lackus? name? Lauren Lacus. Lauren Lacus. Lauren Lacus. Great. Cats, yeah. um, great having you on the show. Can't Blast. believe it's been so long. Is there I'm something throw, I'm missing? I'm going to throw a little disclaimer or whatever ex- explanation. <laughs> You're going to apologize for you to podcast listeners. Insulted? No. <laughs> I'm going to say that when you listen to this, the reason it's so damn random is because these. No one's high. As you heard earlier, <laughs> these two guys are my closest friends. So yeah. if we made no sense, it's because we never make any sense. <laughs> we just love each other. It's great to see you, Lance. Yeah. I haven't seen you in years. It's, it's been you, a Lance. very long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't. Did even you guys remember. move to a town? We moved out to Smith. <laughs> <laughs> moved to a town. You live there now. We live in Smithville and okay. love it. Fucking love it. It's awesome. <laughs> Sorry, Didn't you move to a town? A I think you moved yeah. to like a place. One where, of them towns. I might move to there. a place. I want to live in a place with a yard for oh, my dog. Oh man, he'd love it. And then I got that. I got the notice that they're going to do ten years of work on thirty-five, which yeah, made it like that's oh, going to be a pleasure. Won't <laughs> it might be time to move for yeah. sure. <laughs> Get out while the uh, prices are still reasonable, too. I know. Yeah. Oh yeah, because that place is shooting up. Every place around Austin is yeah. Mark Youngersmith still out there. Maybe that's got some cool. I think that's, that's, that's the crazy thing about uh, yeah, Smithville. You don't know is, who's there. Yeah, it's like I had no idea you were here. You yeah. know, I mean, people from design, from photography, yeah. from music, they're they're there already, and I had no I, no clue. There's quite a Very few cool people I know. Dude, Paul Oakenfeld lives in Bastrop. The guy from Entourage, <laughs> really? You know the guy from Vince from Entourage, like the main guy from Entourage. Yeah, lives in Bastrop. Just hangs out there, records with Jonas. No Wilson. shit. Yeah. Well, and that whole area is building a big, huge movie sound stage. Oh really? So it's going to become this kind of creative hub. You guys are going to be like the. You guys can be like the soundtrack guys. Yeah. The scoring guys. Yeah. Once they hear this podcast, we're in. Your mouth to God's ears, Johnny. <laughs> My mouth to God's ears. This is great, Johnny. Yeah, Thank you so much, man. Thank you, Johnny. Love Thank you. Guys. you. Love, Love you both. Too. Glad to have you on the show. Thank you. Also, hey, thanks for uh, thanks for recording my band when you did, <laughs> and thanks for turning me on to my bloody Valentine, and thanks for. Uh, for letting me bastardize your song and put it on a record because I do love that song very much. Well, I do too, and that's what I was going to say. Thank you for actually putting something I worked on onto a big time record. And Lance, <laughs> that I think you guys sell. did a beautiful <laughs> Lance. Well, but it's a, that does that's never the point, right? It's Thank a beautiful you. record, and yeah. you guys did a, a, such a cool job with that Thanks, song. Bro. Thank you for giving me COVID. Yeah. And Johnny, <laughs> no thank you for watching a million Labor Day telethons with me. Yes. <laughs> and uh, thanks for making this music. Once again, everyone can go check out one or the other at one or the other Todd, what's your Bandcamp? Uh, Todd Wolfson Todd, Bandcamp. Yeah, Todd V Wolfson. And yours, Lance? Uh, Pop Mantra, one word. Pop Mantra. I will post it when he posts this. I'll obviously post it a million times with my links. (laughs) All right. Love you guys. Love you too, man. Those were my bros, Todd V. Wolfson and Lance Schreiner. Find them at oneortheother.bandcamp.com. They're known as One or the Other. The song you're hearing is Dry Cold Place. Get out there and check it out right now. And don't forget, gang, while you're out there checking out oneortheother.com or oneortheother.bandcamp.com, you can subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you find podcasts, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Overcast. New shows every Tuesday and every Friday. And gang, don't forget tomorrow, tomorrow, Saturday night, check in around 10. Yeah. Check your feed around 10, baby. We're dropping a a From the Vault episode where I talked to legendary keyboard player Bobby Sparks. Yeah, that was a good one.
Yeah, that was a good one. All right, here's some more music from uh, from my friends, one or the other, Todd V. Wolfson and Lance Schreiner. Find them at oneortheother.bandcamp.com. Have a great weekend, whatever it is you're doing. Let's get down. Let's get down.